Good morning, good morning. Good morning. My friends, did I pick an amazing Sunday or what to join you all? Um, I don't know about this smoker family, but God is doing something over there. I want to join your clan. Oh my goodness. A fifth Sunday, a fifth Sunday. What a blessing to be with you all. Um, like you heard, my name is Carl Edwards. It is great to be back and see familiar faces um, and, and just spend time with you. It's, it's a joy. One of these Sundays, I promise you, I am going to bring my wife, Mary. I know you all hear about this person. I know you believe she works at Gateway Church, one of our partnering churches. She is real. She is going to join me one of these days. Maybe she'll get an off Sunday and she can spend it with us here. Um, wow. My son and I got to witness the baptism like you just did, and I'm bawling back there because baptism is such a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of the redemptive work that Jesus has done in our lives. It is also a fifth Sunday, um, just like you all, where I attend church, Gateway Church, the fifth Sunday is special because 50% of everything that comes in through our ties and our offering goes right back out into our community. So today, we get a chance to be generous. You guys know what I'm speaking about today? Generosity, right? I'm talking about giving today. Giving is where we're going to be spending our time. So let's, let's hop in. For those of you who are, who are parents, um, like I am, or even grandparents, um, the next thing I'm going to say you will probably sympathize with. There is a word, or maybe two words, in the English language that frustrate me more than anything as a parent. And those words are why and how. You guys get you guys catching my drift, right? Why? The scenarios go like this. My daughter's name is Macklin. Hey Macklin. You cannot have another popsicle right now. What is her response? Why? Right? Well for my son Lincoln, he's not here, so we can talk about Hey, Lincoln, I need you to clean your room before dinner tonight. Lincoln's response, why? But Lincoln goes further. Dad, how am I going to do that by myself? Because you messied it up by yourself, right? And if I can be honest with you, sometimes hearing those words as a parent sounds like nails on a chalkboard to me. And if I can be honest with you, and hopefully this morning is about honesty, the reason it probably frustrates me more than anything is because I just want to play my dad card, right? I want to play my parent card. The reason you can't do X, Y, and Z, the reason you can't fill in the blank is because I'm your dad and because I told you to do so, right? That's what we want to do. But there's a but. <laughs> what Mary and I are learning as parents, and this is the first time we've ever done it, what we're learning as parents is we need to take our time to explain and provide clarity for their young minds. My wife studied early childhood development and elementary education at college. And what she communicated to me is that when she and I work at answering the why and the how question, what we are actually doing is helping our child's development and helping them with understanding. So as much as I want to just say because I said so, What's important for our child's development is to actually answer the how and the why questions. Does that make sense? I believe Jesus did this masterfully. And we're in the series on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave us as Christ followers, disciples, tools 
And the Sermon of the, on the Mount is a perfect picture of Jesus taking time to navigate the why question and the how question. Let's pray and we'll hop into our text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful uh, that you woke us up this morning with mission and purpose, Lord. And out of that mission and purpose, we get to love you first. We get to love our neighbors. And we get to figure out ways that we can look more and more like you on a daily basis. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Bless our time navigating and talking through it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, Pastor Andrew did a great job talking through revenge, right? And talking about some ways that we can love our neighbors. This week, we're going to take it a step further as we just look at four verses in chapter 6. We're going to start chapter 6 and look at four verses. We are going to look at some of the early parts of what does it look like to have an effective Christian walk. For the Christ follower, there should be daily practices, daily practices and habits and tools for us to look more and more like Jesus, right? That's all about that sanctification process every single day, that daily pursuit of being holy, being more and more like our God. So it's really like asking these questions. There's this filter, this grid that we're going to look through um, a little bit today, and as you all will look through more in the coming weeks. Is am I a committed follower of Jesus? What are the tools? What is the test? What is that grid that we can run our lives through? So in chapter 6, there's um, this idea of giving, how we give our money. There's also, later in the chapter, aspects about prayer, and then aspects of fasting as well. So this morning... I've been tasked with talking about giving, right? I've been tasked with talking about giving. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 6. I use my version Bible app often, so maybe you're on that today. But Matthew chapter 6. I'm not sure if you would agree with this statement, but I believe um, giving... And money can sometimes be a taboo topic to talk about in church. It's an awkward Sunday when that giving Sunday comes around, probably dreaded by most pastors. It might be why Pastor Corey asked me to come today. I don't know. You can talk about that with him later. But it's okay because I don't mind. And the reason I don't mind is because I wonder if for many years or in many of our churches, if we have thought about giving wrong, if we haven't been thinking about this right would it be as awkward to talk about money in church or giving if we knew the how and the why? Like my kids ask me how and why, would it be as awkward if we knew the how and the why? So I'm going to try this clicker and see if it works. Oh, it's working. We got it. Love it. Thanks, Corey. You got me set up great. Love it. My friends, let's go ahead and read this text together. It's up on the screens, but I'll read from my Bible here. Watch out. Don't do, your good, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your heavenly Father. When you give to someone in need, don't do this as hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to your acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will get. Verse 3, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and, you, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. 
So as we read this text together, there's this underlying like neon flashing sentiment or thought that I see when I read it. So this is the bottom line of our context. If you hear me say nothing or if I offend you when we talk about money, I just want you to leave with this. And it is this statement here. Giving is a reflection of our hearts. Giving is a reflection of our hearts. So where we're going to go as we look through verses 1 through 4 and some other texts is we're going to understand this context, understand this idea that giving is a reflection of our hearts. Giving reflects our motives and our priorities. You've probably heard it said, if you look at someone's bank statement or their checkbook, it does what? It shows you what their priorities are, right? It shows you where their passions lie. Or maybe we bring it into the 21st century. If you look at my Venmo statement, if you look at my PayPal account, or my virtual wallet through PNC, it'll show you where I focus my money. It'll show you my priorities. And if you look at that, and you look at it over the last couple of days, you will see that I love Dunkin' Donuts coffee. <laughs> it's sitting back there waiting 30 minutes for me to get back to it. That sounds silly, but it is a true statement, right? What we give to shows our priorities. So we understand that giving is a reflection of who we are. It is a reflection of our hearts. So what I want to do with the time that we have remaining is really just kind of break up these texts into really just two sections. We're going to talk about the why. Why is this important? And we're going to talk about how to give. Does that make sense? Two things, why and how. Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of that. So verse 1, it'll be up on the screen for you. Again, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Off the bat, we are told, right, we are told to be careful, to be on alert, to stand guard. We are, this, this text is important. Our attention is to be drawn into what is to follow and the words to say. But I also love how this verse starts out, and nowhere in here it says you should be giving. It doesn't say that. Later, as we continue to read, it actually says, when you give, there's an expectation. It is ex expected of you to be giving to other people, to be giving to those in need. It is an expectation. And why is that? It's because giving is a marker for a believer. Giving is also close to the heart of our God, the, the God who gave the ultimate sacrifice, right? This redemptive work of the gospel for you, you and I, we serve a God that is a giver. So if our God is a giver, therefore is an expect, expectation for children adopted in his family to also do the same, right? So let's, let, let's look at that. Let's look at some other texts. I'll put them up on the screen for you. You don't have to turn there. The first one is this. 2 Corinthians 2, 7, you must, you must um, each decide in your own hearts how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. It's that text, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, Proverbs 19, 17 says this, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. You are lending to God, and he will repay you. You already are seeing a little bit of this, right? In the text in Matthew 6, there is this idea of payment. Idea of payment. Generosity is close to the heart of our Lord. It is close to him. We are not to perform righteous acts or anything like that to be seen by people by, for the approval of others. 
we are to do these acts, these righteous, charitable acts, with a heart solely seeking to please and honor our Lord. With a heart solely seeking to please and honor our Lord. Jesus is leading to the fact that approval from man holds no weight. It holds zero weight on this side of eternity. But true piety is impressing God alone for his approval. The idea of this is our giving is solely for an audience of one. Does that make sense? Our giving is solely for an audience of one. So when I read Matthew 6, 1, I understand this. It is our obligation to give. Remember, nowhere in this text it says, hey, you should do this. It's given because we serve a God who is a giver, and we are supposed to model our lives like that. It is our obligation to give. Let's continue. Verse 2, we give because God gives, right? So verse 2 says this, when you give to someone, here it is again, when you give to someone in need, don't do it as hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they will receive all their reward they will get. Right? This is an interesting passage. Um, when I was reading this, I did a little bit of a, a Google search of some, some in, images, and this one came up. You might have seen this one before. Have you got, raise your hand if you've seen this image before. Now, again, I, I, I don't know the full context of the picture, and I don't even want to get into that because I don't want to offend anyone. But this is the face of skepticism, right? It is the face of skepticism. When I look at this young man's face, it's, it's what in the world is going on here? What in the world? Is it? So that Google search had me going on this rabbit trail of other images, and I saw this one. Look at that one. Can you see that? We're going to hopefully leave that on the screen just for a little bit longer. If it's not, it's okay. Have you seen people do this in our world? For those of you who have social media, have you seen these things on your social media feeds? Do we know people who do this? This is our culture. This is our world. Blowing trumpets in the synagogues to call attention to themselves. Let me read you a passage in Luke. And you're welcome to take that image off the screen if that would help. One that you all know already, but as I saw that image and I listened and I read the text in Matthew 6, Luke 18, verses 10 to 14, say this. Luke 18, 10 to 14, say this. Two men went to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee and the other was the despised tax collector. This Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God, right, that I am not like uh, I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery, and I certainly am not like that tax collector. Does that sound familiar? Right. This parable we all know sounds a lot like this: blowing trumpets in the synagogues, causing attention to ourselves. What I've learned. And this is just in dealing with people. This is, you know, being in this digital age. What I've learned is this. We often care more about documenting our giving than we care about the person. 
or the organization or the actual need that is present. Or maybe another way to say it is like this. We care more about what we are going to get in return than we do fill in the blank, the person, the need, or, excuse me, the organization. As I look at that picture, as I think about that image, we are doing these things for the wrong reason. We are giving for the wrong reason. And Matthew 6, 2 says that I will tell you that they have received all the reward they're going to get. For people that, that post pictures like that one we just saw on the screen, that is all the attention. That is the only reward you're going to get is a couple of likes on a social media page or a couple of likes on a video that you post. We should not call attention to ourselves or our gifts. We should not seek honor or approval from other people. So the, you might be thinking to yourselves, Carl, well, does all of my gifts need to be anonymous? No, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Does it mean, is it, is it wrong to, to give openly? No, that's not what we're saying. But what this text is getting at is the motive, right? The heart in which you do things, the reason behind why you give. It's all about motive. Look at, this is how motive is defined. Motive is defined this way, a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden and not obvious. One that is hidden and not obvious. You see this word hypocrite, right? Don't do as the hypocrites do. In classical Greek, the word hypocrite refers to an actor on the stage. In Greek theater, an actor would wear a mask depicting emotions that his, of his character, hiding who he really is, portraying a message that he thinks you want to receive. Hypocrite. My friends, if I know anything about a Christ follower, a Christ follower should not wear a mask. If I know anything about a Christ follower, a Christ follower isn't a hypocrite. The motive of the believer should be done, right? Um, this, this giving, this, this act of giving should be done from a place of worship. A place of worship, right? It is this place of we get to rather than we have to. And that's a hard place to be in. When we give in this, this posture of, of I get to give because what God has done for me, right? That grace, that mercy, that redemption, that's a heart of worship. That's a motive of worship. So we already know from verse 1, right, that that is our obligation to give. And what we learn in verse 2 is this. We need to know the motive in which we give. Know the motive in which you give. So what I mean by this is you need to begin that process of asking yourself some tough questions. Asking yourself some tough questions. It's a challenge to wrestle through motives, right? Motives is hidden. It's not seen, right? Ask yourself these tough questions. So we talk a little bit about the why, right? I want to get through some other things. So we talk about this why. Let's talk about the how now. Verse 3. Verse 3 says this. But when you give, again, here's that language, but when, it's already, it's expected of you, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It says Jesus is saying, hey, we already talked about that public, outward, people drawing attention. We already talked about that. So now we're going to look inward. Don't even let your closest friends know. Don't let your inner circle know. And also, don't do this for self-gratification. Don't do it for that. 
Jesus is saying, I don't want you seeking to impress other people or yourself. And my friends, I'm so guilty of this. Uh, my wife and I were having a conversation um, probably, is it still May, right? It's not June yet. It's May. Yeah. Earlier this month. Um, I don't know. Still COVID brain for me. I don't know what time is. Um, we were having this conversation, right? And my wife and I have been on this amazing journey of financial freedom. It has been challenging and fun at the same exact time. So what that means is we've been coming, becoming more financially free, right? Getting rid of debt. That means that we've been trying to increase our giving. And that should be the expectation, right? We should be doing that. So as my wife are doing that and we're having this conversation and we're looking back at 2020 and our financial records and we're looking where we're going in 2021, we have this conversation and this weird like pride thing was rising in me. I don't know if you guys ever get that when you, but I had this weird pride thing rising in me and I'm looking at these papers and I'm looking at these numbers and my chest is beginning to puff out and it's like, man, look at us, right? It's this weird piece of, look what I did. Does that make sense? Look what, or I'm talking to Mary, so look what we did. And it was awkward and it was weird. And this is not where we're supposed to be going, right? We are not supposed to be giving. When we give, we are not supposed to be doing this for that self-gratification piece. And it felt super gross. It felt very gross. We didn't get to this place because of ourselves. We didn't get to this place because of something we did. We got to this place and were able to give out of the provision of who God is. And if we are not careful, if you have a similar thought process or have ever been in that place where I was, if we're not careful, we really begin to deceive ourselves. We really begin to deceive ourselves. So let's continue with more of the how, right? More of the how. Let me read verse six for us. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees all, the God of the universe who sees everything, who knows our motive will reward you. Great way to end the text. This reward part is weird too, because he's like, man, I don't do it for the reward, but I know the reward that God, this eternal reward is way better than what I can get from, from men. So it's this, this, this weird tension here. God will recognize our good works and deliver rewards at the proper time. I think that is, is important. On this side of eternity, we shouldn't be giving, we shouldn't be generous just for the things that we are going to get or the affirmation of others. God will deliver these rewards at the proper time. And his reward is so much greater than any amount of praise that you or I could ever see on this side of eternity. I mentioned to you earlier that I think sometimes um, we don't do a great job talking about money, right? We don't talk about giving. Um, uh, you guys know my role at CrossNet, right? So I, I, I interact with people who give financially to our organization. I talked to, to two donors recently. One of these donors gives on a monthly basis, and one of these donors um, gives sporadically throughout this year. Both of these donors um, uh, this past year said, hey, I do not want any receipt. I don't want a thank you call. I don't want a thank you card when I give my gift. So that makes sense, Carl. And I was like, no, it doesn't make any sense. So I called these individuals. I called these individuals to talk about um, why in the world don't you want to be thanked for your generosity? And my friends, they both said the same exact thing to me. They said it in different ways, but they both said two different things. The first one is, is not very profound. Um, I shouldn't say that. It wasn't, 
it was profound to me, but it was very simple. That's probably the better way to say it. The first thing they said was that their giving was simply between them and God, right? What they give, how they give to our organization is simply between them or God. They don't give to get a call from a board member. They don't give to get a thank you card from Carl. That's not why they do it. But the second thing that these, both of these donors said to me was way more profound, and it caused me pause. They said they give out of an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset, and that shook me. And they went on to talk to me about this. They said often people give out of a scarcity mindset or heart set. We can, we're talking about the heart, so we can say out of a scarcity heart set because a scarcity heart said, hey, I only have limited this, so therefore I can only give a little bit. Or I hold on to and I miss opportunities to create change or I miss opportunities to give. They said, hey, we don't work in a scarcity mindset because of our faith in God. They believe that we serve a God of abundance, right? So they have an abundance mindset, abundance heart set. Abundance is understanding that we serve a God that has cattle in a thousand hills, right? If we take Old Testament. That's the type of God that we serve. So I was challenged by this because I know myself, I give, I have limited resources. I give out of scarcity. And they both brought up the widow's might, right? This, this, this widow gave out of the limited resource because she had the faith that she would be provided for. The reward that we are going to receive from our Heavenly Father far outweighs a reward of anything that can happen in the flesh. I don't know about you, my friends, but I want God's reward. That is the reward that I want. That is the reward I'm seeking. What man can give, the affirmation, the words, the act, it doesn't mean anything. I want what God has for me. So where do we go from here, right? We look at the why. We begin to, to, to look at the how. So where do we go from here? What I believe is that you and I, as Christ followers, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we need to do some homework, right? We need to ask ourselves some questions. If we understand this, right, our bottom line is this. I think I have it next. There we go. If giving is a reflection of the heart, right, if giving is a reflection of the heart and our hearts matter to God, then our giving is important. Our giving is important. And what I want to do with the remaining time that we have is I wanted to share some tools, Share some tools with you. There's going to be a verse on the screen. I'm going to read it for you. It says this, Galatians 6. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Again, it's that expectation we're supposed to be giving. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. Again, this is that reward language if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. All right, remember um, listening to uh, a pastor and teacher, Andy Stanley, and he's preached on this text, and he shared this story, right? He said, hey, he was in middle school, and he, um, he was going to lunch. And if you went to public school, you know you grabbed your tray, and you would get your entree, probably like meatloaf, and then you get mashed potatoes and corn, but then you would get that coveted dessert. And so Andy, when he was talking about it, he said it was a brownie that day. So he remembers sitting down at his table, and he scarfed down his lunch just so he could get to that brownie, and he devoured it. So he did what any other middle school kid would do as he goes back up to the lunch lady, and he says, hey, can I have another brownie? 
The lunch lady says, no, you can't have another brownie. And Annie's like, why not? I, you can give it to me. I'm not going to tell anyone. And the lunch lady says something to him that was profound to him. He, she said, hey, if I give you a brownie, then I have to do what? Give everyone a brownie. That's right. And Andy went off to say, that is the worst philosophy ever. And I agree with him because I want a brownie now. And Andy coined this phrase here, right? That's on your screens. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And I love this. This is the homework. This is where we're going to end and wrap up today. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And I am talking through the lens of our giving, through the lens of our generosity. And today you have an amazing opportunity to be generous. So and when I finish this message and we're talking about the one, it doesn't have to be a literal one or it could be a literal one. It could be you giving on top of your normal giving so that you can send one kid to camp. Does that make sense? So that you can send one kid to momentum. So Andy continued. He said, hey, when we are giving, actually, let me back up. The reason I like that phrase, do for one, is because I believe it removes pressure. Does that make sense? It removes pressure in the sense of, oh, my word, I have to care for everyone. Or removes pressure of this savior complex that often we get. If we see all of these needs, therefore, we have to help everyone. It removes pressure. So let's continue. Andy says, when we are giving, let's go deep rather than wide. Deep rather than wide. Wide is easy. Wide is very easy for us. Because when we go wide, right, we feel like we're helping a ton of different people. We feel like we're making a greater impact. But what it could mean is that we're not giving 100% to any of the people, the causes, the organization, the churches that we're actually trying to give to. Because when we say yes to something, we're ultimately saying no to something. And when we're saying no to something, we're saying yes to something else. Don't go deep, go wide. So the question I have is, what would it look like for Grace Family to have a one? Who is that one? What would the life change process here in this church, in your community, if you had one. And he continues and he says, hey, when you are giving, go long-term rather than short-term. Long-term rather than short-term. So I believe that when God is nudging you, it needs to be a time commitment. It should be a time commitment, not just a one-time thing. This is what I believe. Long-term means that a person here at this church or a person in our community has a face. That person not only has a face, but they have a name. That person not only has a face and a name, that person has a what? A story. A story that I believe, and I know that you believe, connects and can intersect with the story of the gospel. So go long-term rather than short-term. And lastly, when we are giving, go time, not just money. And this is super awkward, right? The development director in me is like, nah, I want your money. This is weird, right? Sorry, Corey, my fault. But it's important. Giving is not just about money. Giving is about a lot of other valuable resources that you and I possess, that you and I have. And one of the most valuable ones is our time. I like to talk about this one, this giving time, not just money, and presence, and the power of presence. I don't know if I've uh, said this here in this church before, but you guys all know the love languages, right? You know there's five of them. I think there's really six, but that's fine. There's five of them. And mine is gift giving, all right? 
So if you didn't bring me something today, there's still time. You can run and come back. But in all seriousness, so there, I'm, I'm a gift giver, right? And my wife is not. So often I try to communicate to my I'm trying to buy her love, right? I'm trying to buy it. I take her out on dates. I'll get her a new pair of shoes if she wants one, flower, whatever it is. I'm always trying to buy her love. And my wife always gets to this point where she's like, Carl, you know me better than this. We've been married a long time. All of this stuff is really nice. But all I want is your time. Right? She's a quality time gal. The power of presence. Presence matters. Presence is crucial. So what I'm trying to get at it is in addition, right, in addition to the tithes and offerings that you already give, right? So the generosity that you share to this community, what would it look like for you to give time? Thinking through that lens of one, thinking through that lens of doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone, what would it look like if you committed to one serving opportunity? And you were fully involved in it, opposed to many. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Is there something that God has been nudging you in? Is there an opportunity that you have been eager to serve in, but haven't taken that step because you've been trying to figure out what's the one? What is that? What is that? I think it would be very easy for us to brush over Matthew 6, 1 through 4. I've read Matthew many times, but haven't spent the amount of time in it that I have over these last couple of weeks. My friends, I believe that our text, that this text is very important to us. I also believe it's very applicable to us as Christ followers. Oop. That's awkward. It was my time. I wanted to make sure I didn't go over time, but I'm going over time. Sorry, Corey. Um. And I think some of it is because of the culture and the society we live in, right? We live in a place where we are always seeking affirmation or we do things for the applause of people. And that causes people to to focus on attention that they receive on a post or whatever rather than the actual need that is right in front of them. And we miss out on the need that's right in front of us. Those of us that call ourselves Christians, I think we need to shift our focus. We need to change some things. If we believe that giving is a reflection of our heart and we know that our hearts matter to God, then we do have an obligation to give. Then we need to know the motive in which we give to people. We need to understand that all of that is important to our king. Right? Homework for you, and I'll be quiet. Homework for you. At Gateway, we do something called a thread to pull. It's just a couple of questions that I would like for you to kind of pull on and unravel during the course of this week. And it's really just a summary of what we just talked about, what we just learned. And the first one is this. Does my giving reflect a heart of worship? Very simple. Am I giving? Am I giving so that people can see Jesus in me? Am I giving because I get to give, right? Or because I have to? Is it a heart of worship? And secondly, really that just that introspective piece is what is the motive behind why I give and seek to meet needs? It is because I'm trying to climb some ladder. Is it because I really crave accolades and affirmation? What is the motive behind why I'm doing this? I think that this is some of the self-reflecting that you and I can do during the course of this week because this is a marker for us. This is a marker. How we spend our money shows us where our priorities are. And I'm so excited that I got to talk about this today, and I'm so excited that you get to practice it, that we get to practice it, right? We get to practice what does it look like 
to be generous? What does it look like to find that one? How many kids do we as a church get to send to camp this summer, not because we want to send this massive number, but what I look at it as and what I believe we can process and think about it is these are numbers of individuals exposed to what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Exposed to the truth that there's a Father in heaven that knows their name, that loves them, that craves a relationship with them. And again, that their story intersects with his story and radical life change can happen. That's the one that I'm looking for. That's the heavenly reward that matters so much more than what we do. Let's pray. We'll wrap up. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth that we find in your word. Thank you for the joy that it is to give um, and to be a part of the work that you have for us. God, what a blessing it is to be with my friends at Grace Family and the joy that it is to spend time in your word and the freedom that we get to do that. Lord, we dedicate this time to you. We dedicate your words and we pray that we would be challenged to change, that we would leave differently than when we came in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.